Welcome to TA1. Everything you wanted to know about adventure racing and then some. I'm your host, legendary Randy Erickson. Got a solo gig tonight, but that's just because Chili's in the other room eating because we're done with our hike tonight in the fog and rain. <laughs> You'd think we lived in Washington, but no, that's where the good half lives. So um, when I heard three people at Expedition Oregon compare this week's guest to Mary Chandler, I thought, yeah, I better better have a chat with her. So we did, and um, it went in a lot of places that you would not have expected, and I didn't, but it was <clears throat> fun. So it's nice uh, to hear the uh, excitement and the, um, what's the word I want? enthusiasm of new racers. Hopefully Megan will be uh, bringing some more new people to the sport. So, <clears throat> very enthusiastic about it. So, mm, that's it. Um, <clears throat> I leave next week after next week's episode uh, to Blue Ridge AR in Georgia and uh, be working on some double secret probation stuff there for uh, Jeff. So that will be fun, and I'll keep you up to date on that. All right, that's enough. I get tired of talking. You're probably tired of listening. So anyway, go fast, take chances. Thanks for listening, and um, man, I hope we get some sunshine soon. All right, bye. Megan, are you there? I'm here. Hello. Hey, yay. It works again. <laughs> it works. Okay, yeah. I wanted to make sure you didn't think I was yelling at you. <laughs> yeah, no, I got it, Dad. <laughs> so, if anybody's wondering, Megan asked me if she should call me, and I said, no, I'll call you, and I capitalized no. No, it, I'll call you, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it really looked pretty funny when I typed it. I know. So, um, okay, before we start, here's the fun fact of the day that I learned from my extensive um, research, which amounts to, like, looking at your Facebook page. Okay, nice. Um, we both have exactly the same number of Facebook friends. Whoa! <laughs> so, That's crazy. It is a little weird, but... Uh, so, <laughs> uh, okay, on for the serious stuff. Uh, who are you? Uh, well, I'm Megan, and Megan Erst Palmer. I'm originally from Wisconsin, small town northern Wisconsin, and I've been living now out in Portland, Oregon, for almost seven years. And what? Why did you get to Portland? Seven years—that was kind of before it was all hipstery, right? Uh, maybe, maybe in the upward trend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So I moved out after college. I I backpacked in Europe for a few months after graduating, and then whatever fit in my car when I returned made it out west with me. And found a place on Craigslist. I still remember I was getting the address to the place I was moving into while I was driving out. And I ended up moving to Failing Street. 
And so it was like a, it was a big moment for me moving out, and I had never been to Portland before. And then my roommate sent the address, and it was it was failing street, but it ended up working out uh, quite well. So, so that's kind of yeah, kind of, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So what it, what is it that you do in the real world? I now do human centered design research, um, which if I'm able to go deep into it, it's a uh, go, go. That's what I love. I don't okay. care. I don't care what anybody else. I like to hear what people do and passionate and think is really cool. <laughs> okay, cool. So. Yeah. It's, it's, um, really designing and problem solving with focusing on the experiences and behaviors of the end user. So um, a fun example of a project that my friend just worked on actually was uh, for Taco Bell. They wanted to innovate and uh, innovate their late night menu. And so they hired my friend at the agency to, uh, to problem solve this. They didn't feel like they, it was working well. And so then the research study becomes about, not really about Taco Bell, but about people who are apt to be eating late night food and what are the behaviors of people when they start to get hungry late at night and really truly understanding that to then come back. It's... It's the internet. Internet, I agree. <laughs> which which works really really well most of the time, but that's not the first drop call that this podcast has had. So okay, okay, good. <laughs> and and I don't worry, everybody won't have to listen to like two minutes of silence. because okay. I know how to edit. Okay, good. <laughs> so okay, so you were talking about figuring out why people want to go. No, not why people want to go to Taco Bell late at night, but what people want late at night yeah so it's needs and behavior when it comes to mm-hmm. late night snacking um so almost taco bell goes out of the picture and it just truly becomes mm-hmm. the needs and behavior of the end user and understanding yeah. that and so normally that involves focus groups or you're going to pay people to um, go party with them and they have no idea what you're studying and you're just going to observe, and often you have a question set that you're going to ask throughout the night also, and really um, understand that to the best of your ability, and then you come back and make sense of all of it and put a strategy together for Taco Bell. So, right. So let's we'll just stay with the Taco Bell thing. <laughs> so how – well, I mean, as, as an example, yeah. but, like, how many, how many people would you observe? And, and are you, are you, like – is there a group of you doing this, or is this, you know, you're you're doing it and it's in you're the lead or some? How do you explain that? Yeah, so it totally depends on the research study. Um, for this, it's normally done in a group. You usually have like two or three that are going out into the field together. Um, so I did most of my work. I've been working at Nike for the last six years. Um, so all of my research was focused on sport and athlete and the future of sport. Um, I just think it's easier to, the Taco Bell example is a bit yeah. easier to, to wrap the mind around. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, um, plus everybody here loves Taco yeah, Bell. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But yeah, so when I worked at Nike, there were often times that I would go by myself and go sit down with a team or a group of athletes if it was really focused and more of like a quick hit, like we wanted to learn more about sock fit, you know, I would put together a question set and decide who I wanted to go talk to that made the most sense and do that research by myself. But I think when it's a bigger topic, if we're really digging into the future of sport and how it's changing, there's definitely a team that I'm working with and we're tackling that together. Yeah. So cool. So have you ever been walking through the mall and seen something and say, huh, that's, that was my research made that. <laughs> I don't think so. Okay. Not yet. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. So is the new Taco Bell menu out yet? Um, that's a good question. I should follow up to my friend. I think he just worked on that. So I will, I will get back to you on that. Yeah. So, Whenever, when we all go to Taco Bell late at night yep. in the middle of an adventure race, now you know who to thank. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you – I mean, this we're going to be here for a while talking about this because it's pretty fascinating to me. I mean, I know about adventure racing. I don't know about whatever it is you do. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> So, so how did you get into this field? Yeah, so I started at Nike um, out of college and had a couple of roles there before I learned about human-centered research, or it's often called insights. Um, mm -hmm. And so I met somebody that uh, did this type of work, and as soon as she told me about what she did, I, I just knew it was what I wanted to do. And... Luckily for me, she was she let me tag along with her to a project she was working on, and then I connected with other people at Nike that were doing the work, and I got to do some side projects for them. And then one of the coolest opportunities of my life came along. I was able to create my own position uh, to do insights for Nike Innovation um, or the Nike Explore team, and so... I just got to create my role and start doing it, and it was super exploratory and exciting and just really fun, fun work. So, well, it's, I mean, that's cool to be able to to create your own your own job, and and I think especially in a large corporate structure like Nike, I mean, that's totally not everybody gets to do that, do they? Totally. I still remember the day I got the phone call. Uh, I was in the grocery store, and I was, like, ecstatic. I had no idea what I was shopping for anymore, and I just, like, went up and down <laughs> all the aisles, and I called my mom. <laughs> and, I, and, yeah, I ended up spending, like, an hour just <laughs> not doing anything in the grocery store. <laughs> just, yeah. It's, yeah, that, that's kind of cool when you get that kind of news. It's like, who's the first? I got to tell somebody, who can I call? Who can I call? Who will answer the phone? Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I've done that with my mom before, too. And then and, and even knowing that she doesn't have a clue what I'm talking about, but yep. she understands the excitement of it. Totally. <laughs> so, um, so are you bringing your expertise into to insight to adventure racing? 
<laughs> from the inside, so to speak? That's a good question. I think all, I think there are parts of it that translate, but I think even more so, I think adventure racing and the skills and everything that I've developed and learned from there translates more into my job. Mm. Um, I think all of with having patience and problem solving and I, I, I just see how much it changes me as a person and develops my character. And I think that makes me a much better person in my job. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I actually hear that a lot. So, um, all right, we'll we'll talk adventure racing. We may come back. Okay. But, <laughs> so, who who roped you into your first adventure race? So I learned about adventure racing, like first heard about it. Um, I think through Outside Magazine or something had done some write up or I heard, was said something about the Patagonia Expedition race. And I clicked on this thing, and I was like, whoa, this sounds awesome. And it would just filed in the back of my brain. And then I met somebody at Nike who um, ended up being a manager for me later on, uh, Julie Leisure. And she worked on the Nike Adventure Racing product, and along with Peter, Peter Corrigan back in the day, and uh, was really close with the pro Nike team. And adventure raced all those years under, like, a rep Nike team. And so I learned all about adventure racing through her, and she wrote up a little book about one of her Primal Quest races, and I read it, and I was 100% sold. Like, (laughs) I became a little bit obsessed with it in my mind that I, like, knew this is what I had to do. (laughs) Um, Yeah, well, I mean, that is... uh... I mean, I, I guess you were obsessed maybe even before you did it. A lot of people, it takes that first race. But why why the obsession? I think I loved all all of the elements that, that brought it together. That it was, I, I already feel like I'm a deal of trades in my life in general. Um, I love doing lots of things, and I've never really been one to just focus on one thing. And so it just fits with my natural personality. Uh, so I loved that it was multi-sport. I loved that it was in different locations all over the world in really remote areas that you got to see a lot of places of a country that you wouldn't otherwise know about or get to see. And then I loved the team aspect. Uh, I just thought that sounded super cool and really different from anything that I had done so far besides I'd been in team relays on the track and, you know, played basketball on the team. But otherwise, all of my running and other races and competitive events were really individual. And so I was really excited about the team aspect and interested in that. Yeah. So what was, I mean, your sports background, basketball, just normal team sports, 10Ks, you know, where, where were you when you decided that this was a good idea? Yeah, so I was a few years out of college and I, I ran cross country and track. So I had a running background. I had not yet mountain biked or bought a mountain bike. Um, and I was just 
about to buy my first pack raft uh, for a trip a friend and I were going to do. So we were both going to buy pack rafts and start doing white water anyway. So that, that one I had out of the way. And then I knew I wanted to get into mountain biking at some point. So this was the perfect excuse to buy my mountain bike. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, most people come try the individual sports first and then, and then yeah. adventure. Race. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, yeah. so, um, so, all right, you got the desire, you're starting to get the equipment. How, walk me through your very first race. So the first race I actually registered for was the primal, primal quest race up in Squamish or BC that got mm-hmm. canceled. So okay, I was yep. super excited about it being up in Canada. I, I love Canada. It's one of my favorite places to spend time. And so as soon as I saw I was in Canada, I was like, all right, this is it. And it didn't worry me at the time that it was a 10-day adventure race and I hadn't done an adventure race yet. <laughs> because I think in general, most sports out there, races, they advertise or the marketing is a little bit more badass than the actual event, if that that makes sense like the tough yeah. mutters the whatever it's like it's oh it's so badass but it's actually you know not, not that hard um and so i kind of assumed adventure racing i i, I mean i knew it was me hard but i was like ah oh, it's probably not that hard yeah <laughs> so i just pulled together three of my favorite adventure friends at the time and was you know threw it out to them and it's like we should do this and everybody said yes and we signed up and we were all we had all of our training weekends planned together, and and then we were totally crushed when it was yeah. canceled. Um, yeah. And then I ended up doing several 24, 12 hour races that summer, and then I felt like it was a good thing ultimately that that race got canceled. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Although there are, and I've talked to a lot in. And especially women, just just going in my mind, the, whose first races were Primal Quest or Eco were ten day races, and and you know they loved it. So um, yeah, did but did your team at that time? Did any of you have any experience um, adventure racing? No, none of us had any yeah. adventure racing experience. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That might have worked in your favor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We would, it would have been an adventure no matter what. It would yeah. have been, it would have been good. I'm sure it would have gone down yeah. in the books, but, <laughs> so. Uh, so yeah. yeah. And I'm, so yeah, over the past couple summers, I've done the more local races, the Cauldron Quest, the Bend ARs. I went down for Never Summer, um, once and then, uh, Expedition Oregon, uh, two times. So, yeah. so. So what, in your first, because um, we'll, we'll, we'll get to this year's race, because I like to hear people's races, but what um, what are some of the, like, two or three big lessons you learned, like, in your first year or two of, of racing, about racing, let's say, because there's obviously, you must have learned a ton, but, <laughs> so literally about adventure racing, what are a couple of the things you learned Yeah, I think um, I'm learning what I'm 
hoping for out of a race experience. I think mm -hmm. um, it's really important to me to smile and have fun out there and enjoy and take in the surroundings, but I'm also very competitive and I'm not having a lot of fun if we're also not pushing ourselves and doing the best that we can. And so I think I'm learning and trying to find what the balance between those two, what the right balance is. Um, yeah. I think I've learned just a ton about how to make transitions easier. And every single race, I see other racers doing something. And I'm like, oh, man, that's so smart. I'm going to do that next time. And I always make my list after the race of, um, yeah. of what I'm going to do, like, or even my teammates this time said, I always have a problem in the longer races, like my pack will rub on my lower back. And they're like, oh, you just put Lycra tape on that or ahead of time, and then you have no problems. And I'm like, oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. Let's do that. So, yeah. Um, so. Like making lists ahead of time for what you're going to do at each of the transition areas. So when it's three days in and you're delirious, you can just look at that and be like, okay, we're ditching poles and trekking shoes and we're picking up climbing gear. You know, don't forget X, Y, Z. Like, so you don't really have to think as hard. Mm -hmm. um, lots of socks. <laughs> Never have enough yeah. socks. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just a, it's a huge learning curve when you come into a sport new. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And I think I've learned Did you... a lot about um, just navigation and how it works and yeah. to that everybody is making mistakes out there and that whatever might seem like a big mistake for your team, like other teams are also experiencing that in a different way or in the same capacity, but it always feels like you must be wasting the most time out of any team out there. <laughs> then you hear the stories later, and it's like, no, everybody is having their ups and downs and working through the challenges of the course, and I think it's it's been really helpful to keep that in mind and, you know, to always stay positive and, yeah. Yeah. So are you a little surprised how competitive you want to be in the race or did you think that might happen when you started? Um, and, and I guess not necessarily from an athletic point of view, but maybe just like mentally. Um, I guess I'm not surprised. I'm, I've yeah. always been pretty competitive or it's hard for me not to be competitive. I think mm -hmm. even like people never even like playing board games with me growing <laughs> up. <laughs> Uh, are, are you are you telling me a few Monopoly sets have gone flying? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. And so I think, yeah, yeah like for, for running, for instance, I I feel like that is my strength, and it's, it's hard for me to be out in the course power hiking or walking when we could be running. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I know – it's important to me to feel like I'm, I don't want to finish the race feeling like I could go for another day or um, have more in the same flesh. I guess, like, yeah. that's part of what I want to get at. I feel like I haven't had that experience yet with adventure racing, that I finished the race and, whoa, like, that was everything I had in me. And I, 
I was, you know, really pushed. I feel like it's, it's of course been physically challenging, especially both the expedition races, like, um, and you end up taking, you know, in, when, in areas that you can tow and do different things, you're, you're giving more in those areas, but I've never finished feeling like I went as fast as I could have, pushed as hard as I could have. So I'm definitely interested in exploring that more. Yeah. Well, I mean, but how, how he's got two expedition races in you, you can't possibly know how hard you can go and not blow up. Right. In two, in two races. Right. Exactly. (laughs) But, but on the same token, did you have a little better idea um, this, this year of what you could do? Yeah. um, I think we, we didn't. I didn't feel like we, the pace was pushing. We weren't pushing the pace for what I would want, the pace that I would want to have during a race. Like it was a comfort, mm-hmm. very comfortable race pace for me. Um, yeah. So I think I learned and this race was about learning and growing in like in other areas and other parts of the, of the race, but not in terms of like physical or pace. Okay. Yeah. So you actually had some physicality left in you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, um, well, we should we should say just for the general public. So who did you race with this time? I was racing with Tim Canis and Ian on Team North South. Yeah. So, and here's another interesting point of trivia: the the first persons, persons, people that I ever interviewed during a race, an adventure race, were Canis and Ian. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, but there gets to be a lot of that now when you start to realize, like, when I was looking at the start list for the race, it's like, eh, know them, them, know them, know them, know them, eh, don't know them. So, it's like, I know, like, three quarters. <clears throat> yeah. Excuse me, three quarters of the field, but... Um, well, hopefully I'm going to help well, with that. I am pretty motivated to bring some new people into adventure racing, so maybe I'll bring some fresh blood in for you. For that's, that's perfect. <laughs> well, you know, maybe bring him in for the sport, and, and I'll just come there for the ride. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> yeah. How did, you, um, how did you meet up with those guys? Uh, so they needed a teammate about two months prior to the race. Um, and my friend Charles on Team Bones um, yeah. reached out to me and was like, hey, I think you should join their team. And so we chatted about it. I chatted with Tim and thought about it for a few days. And I was so I was just coming back uh, from Southeast Asia. I've been on a mini retirement for the past year. And I had just literally gotten home the day before uh, I got the message, and yeah, I just I couldn't say no. I was I was back here. Um, I knew I wasn't going to start working for a few months, so the timing was good, and I, I was excited to start riding my bike again and getting back up on the training. So I just I said yes. It's cool. All right, we're going to get back to that, but I want to I want to. Talk about mini retirement. Yes, mini retirement. <laughs> so are you like working a few years, 
take a year off, work a few years? Is that, I mean, is that a conscious decision or was it just something that came up or? It was definitely. Explain your mini retirement, then I'll explain mine. Okay, perfect. <laughs> definitely a very conscious and long, well thought out decision. Um, so I'd been at Nike, I worked at Nike for five years and then was working for about a year and a half at a startup that Nike was investing in. And it was, my last two jobs were awesome. Like my favorite jobs. Like I always felt like I had the best job on the team. <laughs> like loved my work. But it was it was definitely time to go and experience. I have a very long list of life experiences and I'm not getting any younger. So I thought it was time to take my first mini retirement. <laughs> so I, I like that. I mean, I think that's, so Paulette and I do that on a little smaller basis. Like, like I took a week to go to Oregon to shoot a race, and um, you know she'll, you know she actually is traveling, so I kind of call that her retirement too. I mean for work, but then she'll take a week, and then you know eventually this year we're actually going to go someplace together. Imagine that. That's awesome. <laughs> Oh, because it works out around a race. So I'm going to go to Iceland and shoot a race, and then when I'm done, she'll come and we'll have a, a, a vacation. But we very consciously made that decision yes. a couple of years ago to, like, no, we're not going to work hard and then retire and die. Yeah, So exactly. Um, yeah. Do you see what you're doing with other people or – I mean, with the, the gig economy or whatever they want to call it, um, or are you just different? I definitely know a lot of other people who are are taking time away from work to go travel. And then I think while I was traveling, I met a lot, I met a lot of people who are doing it. Um, so I did, I was mostly focused on rock climbing overseas, and um, you definitely meet a lot of other people while out by the wall and and hanging out at camp, and um, there were a lot of really cool stories of the time people were taking away from work to, to travel and to do what they love doing. Yeah, I I realize most people can't do that, but yeah, I think you should. Yes, I agree. <laughs> so, yeah. So um, can I assume then you did the lead climb at the race? I did, yes. I was very excited about Jason putting – climbing or multi-pitch climbing and leaf climbing into the into the race yeah. and so that was another reason why i was really excited to do expedition oregon again um i love jason's races uh in general um i like his style but he puts the the sports together exactly what i would want in an adventure race, like the whitewater pack rafting rock climbing biking and running where I think a lot of other races are heavier in like a flat water paddle, and that's not my favorite activity. Um, yeah, Jason's races are like my jam. So yeah, so so from a climber's perspective, what was the climb like? And kind of describe it because you're actually the first uh, expedition Oregon guest that we'll have, so you get to describe things to people that didn't know so oh, nice. so kind of yeah walk us through the climb a little bit what it was like and and from your point of view yeah it was interesting um interesting from a perspective 
of being sleep deprived since we got there on day four. Um, I'd never climbed that sleep deprived before and I just felt really slow, like slow to think, like slow to decide where, what handhold to grab or foot to put my foot on. <laughs> um, so it was just like a really like slowed down weird climbing experience, but also kind of cool. Uh, and I think it all depended on what time you got to the climb, what your experience was like there. We got there like right before sunset. And so it's starting to get cold and very windy. And so I think we were kind of, we were freezing on the climb and just wanting to get through it as fast as possible. But I think if someone had arrived there in the middle of the day when it was sunny, uh, like I bet it was amazing. Um, the view yeah. was really nice. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to say I was sitting there from six in the morning till about one, and uh, it was really, really nice. Yeah, that, yeah, that sounds, <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> Sorry, what can I say? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, they had great people up at each of the stations on the multi pits that were very friendly, and you know, checking to make sure that we all of our beaners were locked and we were doing everything correctly. Um, but it was just like, it was an interesting, it was so set up and curated with like the fixed rope and all the people that it wasn't like, it definitely didn't feel like a typical climbing experience, but I understand mm -hmm. why it's there, why it was there. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it is kind of funny because you were literally climbing up and wrapping down the other side of a pillar, but it, it, from watching it, it didn't feel like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. So, um, plus, you had a pretty tough trek to get in and out of there. So, yes, yes, and we did the the pro mountain bike point prior to climbing, and so we had a really nice long stretch of hike a bike before we got over there. So, we were very happy to arrive at the climb. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, how how a uh, two part question. One, how hard was the counting backwards? And and I never quite got this straight in my mind. Did all four of the team have to do it or just the two lead climbers? Uh, just the two lead climbers. So Candace and okay. I did that together. And we had a ton of fun with it. I think we were both, <laughs> like, really nervous. We were going to somehow mess it up. We yeah. were looking at each other and, like, kind of making it a fun game out of it. Like, we'd be like, 100 yeah. 97, 94, <laughs> 91. So. And we'd be like very slow, like double checking in our mind before we ultimately said it. Like, <laughs> yeah. It, and did you have to go all the way to zero? Yes. Yep. And they recorded so. it. So <laughs> there was no question if, if we messed up. And they had a little list there that they were checking to, to make yep, sure. Yeah. Yep. I, I, I don't know who came up with that, but well, and you might might know the answer to this. Was that a good way to test the cognitive skill of people? I think so. Like it wasn't easy. Um, I really was putting all my brain power <laughs> into <laughs> into thinking about what number was next. Yeah, I did it in my head, like a few days after once I was 
had sleep and rested and it was way easier. Yeah. So, well, and I think yeah. by yourself, it might, it's probably easier, isn't it? True. And, and the pressure wasn't on. Yeah. Cause <laughs> I'm a, not an insomniac by any stretch, but I, it takes me a long time to fall asleep. Once I'm asleep, you can't wake me, but I do a lot of like weird counting things. So nice. I, I'd have probably aced it. <laughs> yeah. Not to climb, but the counting backwards, I think I'd have been good. At. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's talk about the rest of the race. <laughs> yeah. How, how, um, so just kind of walk me through and any of the high, any of your high points, maybe a low point or two, you know, of your race. So people can kind of get a feel, um, what it was like. Yeah, totally. I think as a team, the two high points uh, for me were the second O course. Um, mm-hmm. It was like a nice, almost like circular map of points that you were getting on these really beautiful high points with amazing views. Yeah. And we started it early in the morning and there was this nice coolness and shade for part of our the beginning and everyone was in a good mood and we were talking and the nav was on point like we just it was just felt really slow and we were just moving through and it it just was everyone was clicking and it was just awesome uh and then the whitewater pack rafting section uh i think as a team we just all had a lot of fun with that and enjoyed it and uh definitely some some giggles came in on that stage i i still remember canice ian was trying to explain something about like what we we're what we were going to be looking for blah, blah blah and he just started like squeaking on the pack raft and bobbing his head and we were all just like dying laughing it probably wasn't wouldn't be that funny to anybody else but it, we were yeah 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 there's yeah one of those you 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 have to be there yep. moments. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think yeah, we had a blast. We had the new alpaca uh new racers and we yeah, we just had a blast in those boats and had a really good time out there. Yeah. But okay, in all truthfulness, how how much fun was it paddling across the two lakes? Oh man. In the dark and the cold. So it started really nice. When we first got on the lake, it was it was pretty warm out still. And, uh, like, Tim and I were in a boat together and had great conversation for the first couple hours of that paddle. And we were just like, wow, this is amazing. The water was completely still. Uh, it felt like I was in a whole globe sphere of stars. And I was thinking, wow, this this is going to be the coolest night paddle ever. And then the tent just started dropping, dropping, dropping. And then all of a sudden it was like, whoa, I'm really cold. And like, everybody's like, whoa, we're really cold. The frost and started covering everything. The PFD, the pogies, helmet. Ian had icicles hanging off his helmet. And we like really realized like we can't stop. We just have to keep moving, keep the body going. And it quickly turned, uh, yeah. It was, it was not as fun. <laughs> yeah, there, there's some. It, it's kind of funny because 
probably, I guess, none of us in the on the media crew thought about it, but nobody was at the takeout because nobody thought. I mean, if we had realized that you guys oh, would be covered in covering it would have ice, been so was, good. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I was out there on the on the wiki up late, you know, looking see if I could get some night shots and stuff, and it's like. I'm standing here for two hours, and I can see lights, and you're not getting any closer. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? I think maybe I don't have to stand here all night. Now I wish I would have. But totally. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, what was what was the the lava field like? Because you guys got to do it in the dark, right? Yeah, we actually had light for the first part of it to get us going. Okay. Um, so we got to see out to the lake and kind of get our bearings a little bit and then yeah once I got dark it was it was definitely a different experience than I've had before as far as being in these like tubes and just being surrounded by lava in every direction and pretty soon as like we started to turn in these tubes it was really disorienting like all of a sudden I wasn't sure like which direction now <laughs> the lake was in oh. or it just felt like we were in this never ending <laughs> lava rock um, yeah. and we had a hard time actually finding one of the last checkpoints in there it was one by a tree and there were trees everywhere and it was yeah it was a bit disorienting yeah. Um, yeah. but I actually didn't mind crawling over the lava rock as much as I thought it was going to be a lot worse but I thought the, I thought the scrambling was kind of fun or I didn't it seemed like other people like really disliked that section and I and I kind of liked it yeah well I think the discerning part was when you'd step on these big rocks and they would like move loop. yeah and I think like... for people who use poles I think it would be much worse um, and just yeah. slower and with balance. But I think I like to just be, like, really close to the rock and almost kind of scrambling. So if something moves, I'm, like, really able to recover quickly. But, yeah, there yeah. are definitely so many surprises with rocks moving that close calls. <laughs> yeah. So I I had hiked up trying to find nine and, and, and didn't. Of course, I didn't have a map. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> Jason's like, well, you just you – just, Go up that draw. Uh, Thanks. <laughs> so, but, um, so okay. Here's the other part that I think was surprising to people was the the bike ride home through you know Redneck Desert. Yes. Was, or did you know? Did you have a sense of what that would be like? I mean, I, I know you don't live there, but you live in Oregon. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely spent a fair bit of time in rural and central Oregon that I had I had some idea. Um, okay. Yeah, it was interesting. Like we we had a truck that was it, it must have been like two or three in the morning, and we had a truck that was that we felt like was following us for a little while, and it was really creepy. Mm. Um, and they would turn around and like do all these like donuts or like drive really fast up the road yeah. break and squeal and turn around and then like sit there for a while and then they would drive up closer to us sit there for a while drive up closer to us sit there for a while like it was just really strange and then finally we turned off on a different road and we, we didn't see them again so yeah so yeah that's when you're kind of happy that you have a couple of ex-marine exactly. force guys with you right exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 
So you're like, bring it on, yeah, you guys, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, I I don't know if I've ever told this story about Canis before on the podcast, so I will now. But um, Ooh, yeah, in Primal Quest, uh, so the first race I shot, like a day in, they're riding up this gravel road in the rain, and he just he just he just rides up with um, shoot Kimberly, his teammate. And she's just struggling a little bit, and he just rides up and puts her hand on her back and just, you know, pushes her up the hill. And it's like one of the, you know, I was so new in it that it still blows me away to, you want know, to think about it to this day, that it's like, oh, yeah, that's kind of adventure racing. you got to watch out for your teammates. Yeah. So, I like that. Yeah. So, I mean, I've obviously had some conversations and stuff with the people, but how long do you th- do you think it took before you were a team? That's a good question. Um, That's why I've done 234 podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think... That, well, so a couple... Tim and Tannis had raced together before, and then Ian and Tannis yeah. had raced together before. And then I was new to all three of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think starting out the race and even pre-race, like everybody was super nice and we went out to meals together. And you yeah, know, but I think I did feel like the outsider. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't think it took too long in the race. It's kind of like when every you know, like everyone's kind of helped each out each other out at least once and, and it's just like you're in it. Um yeah. like you share it I think once you share a snack with somebody it's pretty you know, it's team. Yeah. If I share my yeah. food with you, we're we're on good terms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I think yeah, going into that first night and getting on the lava fields together and yeah, it really starts like really starts to feel like we're in this we're really in this together and it's us yeah so who's the first one on the team that swore during the race that swore oh i don't know had a bad moment oh um who had the first bad moment man i don't know Snowshoeing? So, I don't think anybody, nothing notable is coming out. I felt like everyone felt pretty good during snowshoeing. And then maybe, actually, I bet it was it was Candace or Tim on the lava fields, for sure. Um, they were both yeah. carrying the pack rafts. Yeah. yeah, so they deserve it. Yeah. They, they get a freebie. They deserve, uh, yeah. And so the pack rafts, yeah. I think, were hanging off the bottoms of their packs. And so I think they was, like, hitting the rock at different times. And they were trying extra hard not to hit the pack rafts on there. And so they were, yeah, they were uh, frustrated with a lot of rock. <laughs> yeah. So. so do you know that you've become a team when you stop being polite to each other? Over Overly polite. Because, look... Yeah, you know what I mean, right? Yeah, because you, you, you're you're never jerks to each other, but when you when you first meet somebody, especially when you're the new person, you're you know, yeah, you're kind of like overly polite. So, yeah. is that the sign of a team when you can be jerks to each other? 
yeah, I feel like that that happens pretty pretty quickly and automatically, and even just like going to the bathroom, you know, two feet from yeah. each other, and uh, yes, yeah, yep. doesn't take long. So that's yeah, I think that's a good sign. Yeah. Um. All right. So, where's where's your obsession obsession going to take you next? In Basically, what's, what's your adventure race plans? Yeah, so I have a plan. Well, so, as you know, getting into adventure racing is a very expensive, can be extremely yes. gear intensive. And so I have, I guess what I, I'm really excited about racing with uh, some good friends of mine that live in Portland, Portland, Seattle, Vancouver, but most in Portland. Because I think it'd be really special to race with close friends that we're training together and getting out together a lot, and we really know each other really well. I think I yep. I see that with Quest and you know Bend Racing, and that I like really want that out of my adventure racing experience. Um, I think it would be it seems even just from my regular adventuring, it's it's always more impactful and powerful when you're getting out with your good friends on, you know, big objectives and doing stuff. So I, I have um, three friends in Portland, one in Seattle and one in Vancouver that are just made for adventure racing. Like they will love it. They have the mental, physical, and I've suffered with all of them many, many, many days in the mountains. And they're my, they're my people. Like they're the people I want to suffer with. <laughs> so my, my master plan to bring them all together uh, and hopefully it's, it's going to work out. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, there there is no current Team Nike. Maybe, uh, <clears throat> hint, hint, hint. I know, right? You, mu- you must still have some contacts. Yeah. They're, well, yeah, they're still Peter and Julie who worked on the, the product for that team, and they're still there and very passionate about adventure racing. There's, there's a lot of people who are passionate about um, when Nike was doing more outdoor product and so yeah, yeah, maybe I just need to need to light it light it back up again, get the ideas flowing. Yeah. All right. So can I this is like a way totally out of not out of left field, but and I'm imagine you really don't have an answer, but do you think something like Eco Challenge coming back would interest a company like Nike? I think it could. I think it would depend on, like, what kind of exposure it ends up having yeah. and buzz and excitement. Yeah. But it, yeah. I think Nike tends to really just focus on its big drivers. And so even yeah. even trail running, which is huge and, and growing, they they just don't invest a lot of resources in it because, like, all of the Nike trail shoes and the colorways equal less than one Nike peg colorway. So it's, yeah. it's, it's like small, very small business to them. So I think their tendency is to just focus on their, their big, yeah. big business. Yeah. Can a company that big, is there anybody in the company that could influence? Like if Joe's like, man, I saw this eco challenge. We got to do it. 
Or is it just too big and too many shareholders and too many responsibilities in that company like that? Sorry, Nike, we're not picking on you. Yeah. We just you're here because <laughs> I'm pretty sure they listen to the podcast every 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 week. For sure. <laughs> um, say say your question one more time. I don't think I understand. Um. So, is there anybody like one person in the company that could say, "I saw Eco Challenge on TV. We need to be part of that sport." I think, I think what is there is anybody could put that case together and put it in the nice little deck. And if you present it to the right people and they, like if our head of marketing or head of global marketing or North American marketing saw it as, as an opportunity, it would just be convincing them, I guess. Yeah. It's all, you can, you can always share your idea and come up with an idea of Nike and, and share it and... But then from yeah. there, if yeah. it's going to get adopted. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. Well, come on. We're, we're living in a fantasy world that we think yeah. that, that, that Nike or any major company is going to get into adventure racing. But, it's hey, you guys are all optimists. You all go to a race thinking you're going to finish, and you usually do, so why not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Um, all right. We're going to start to wrap up here a little bit. But, so... You're going to form a team. I'm putting words in your yeah. mouth. Got a, got a name for the team yet? No, I'm horrible at coming up with team names, actually. Yeah. So, no okay. yet. All right. Well, if any, I always have uh, – I was going to say I always have good ideas, but I always have ideas, so I'll okay, keep good. it Okay, good. I will pick you up. <laughs> um, but I, I, a, a little more serious, a little. So you're going to start a team – race with friends which is really cool but you're also after two races uh, and i'll say it, you've got a reputation as being pretty tough and a good racer which means tough good women racers have a lot of opportunities so are you still open to racing with with other teams if you can't race with your own team yeah i think i'm 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 totally up, up open to that and i think i'm still I, yeah, there's there's a ton of people that I think would be really fun to race with too. Um, yeah. But I think because I think I'm extra motivated because um, adventure racing is a small community, and I want to bring I want to bring more people into it, and so I see yeah. how like how much it's changed my life and how much I I love it. That I see my friends, I just know that they will also love it. And so I want to bring them into that. So I feel motivated from that perspective. Um, and then, yeah, I think I think both. But there are also a lot of people I'd be excited about racing with, and that would probably be an easier yeah. route for me to, yeah. you know, just try to join an existing team. That would definitely be the easier option. Well, plus you've, you've, you've still got your learning curve and, you know, if you can go race with a good team, then you can bring that back to to your team. So yeah, I mean, totally. It's a win win. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, um, so all right, okay. I got this. All right, here we go, folks. Here's my one last question. Till I have more. Um, you like adventure. You like kind of wild things, doing interesting stuff. <clears throat> How? 
and why did you end up at Augustana in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, literally the flattest place on earth? <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, that is such a good question. <laughs> <laughs> See, and I can make fun of it because we lived we yeah. lived in Sioux Falls for ten years. Oh, nice. And, okay, good. <laughs> and, and Paulette actually taught at Augustana, so. <laughs> oh geez, so in. I grew up in a town of 2,000 people in northern Wisconsin, and at the time, going to Sioux Falls, South Dakota, which is six hours away, was a really big deal at the time. Yeah, yep. Um, but I, I was, all my hopes and dreams were crushed because I wanted to play basketball in college, and I did not get a scholarship to play basketball, and instead I got a scholarship to run. So I decided it was important to me to go to school with good academics and good athletics. And Augustana seemed like a good fit. I liked the coach. I liked the team. And at the time, I was not thinking about South Dakota and everything that encompasses, <laughs> especially yeah. especially Eastern South Dakota. Um, so at the time, it was a big step and a step in the right direction. And I think. I think back to this now, had I gone to school in somewhere much cooler like Colorado or the Pacific Northwest where there's mountains and rivers and all of this stuff, I'm not sure I would have stuck out running cross country and track until my senior year mm -hmm. because we're, we have meets literally the entire year on Saturdays, um, long runs, long run practice Sunday morning. <laughs> And I think yeah. had my friends been going out on these rad camping, pack rafting, hiking, skiing trips over the winter, like there's no way I would have, <laughs> yeah, I would have <laughs> stuck it out. So financially, that worked well for me to to stick with it. But then I think I also extra appreciate being in the Pacific Northwest now after being in South Dakota. Yeah. No, we're we're saying Eastern South Eastern, Dakota. Eastern, Eastern, yes. <laughs> so it, but I'm I'm gonna say yeah. I did not mind. Yeah, the ten years we were there because we had lots of great friends. We were doing a lot of road riding, so you know we had big groups of road riders, and so yeah, it has its points. It does. Um, there there is a reason why I've only been back there once in twenty yeah. years. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It, and I'm guessing you probably haven't been to a class reunion. I have not. No, I have, yeah. I have not been back since graduation day. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Maybe actually the last question. So do you do you actually have any other races planned yet this year? Or are you waiting to, to Shanghai your new teammates first? I do. I We're going to do Calden Quest up in Bellingham mm -hmm. uh, at the beginning of June. And that's with. Uh, three of my friends that I was talking about. So Chris lives up in cool. Vancouver, um, Gordo in Portland, and Zeta in Portland. Um, so I'm excited. That's like our first race together, and I hope they're going to fall in love with it, and we will go from there. <laughs> so, uh, well, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm planning to do yeah. Bend AR with Chris also. So yeah. it'll be fun. So. Well, that's good. All right, so we're going to have to have an update. So maybe after the next race, <laughs> and then you have to. Uh, well, 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 we got to see how the team does. Plus, you got to check on the Taco Bell menu. Yes, 
Yes. Yeah. So, and if and if anybody's not sure, I'll put links to those two small companies, Taco Bell and Nike, in the show notes. So, if you wanna wanna see what they're all about. Yes. <laughs> so, so, well, um, you're not exactly a newbie, but you're probably still a rookie. But yeah, you're gonna go places. So, thanks, Randy. I can't wait to see what you do. Thanks, Randy. All right. It's been a great chat. Thanks. Yeah, nice talking to you. So, and you're one of the few people that's like, oh, I'm not going to sit on this well. I think this will be out this week. Sweet. All right. So you can you can tell your new teammates and they can uh, then decide whether they're going to be your teammate or not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but, all right, well. I have Pacific Northwest weather out the window. It's foggy and been foggy and rainy all day, so there's something else we have in common. Here, no. It's been beautiful and sunny. Is it? We must have a Seattle forecast up or something. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it looks like. It's it's funny. I posted, sent Paul out a picture this morning and said, hey, you'll probably feel like you're at home. And I'm like, wait, this is her home. No. Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) Bottom line, dog still wants to go for a hike, so we're going to go out. Nice. Okay, good. All right. Well, thank you very much for the chat. All right. Bye. Some letters to me.